Thank you for listening to the Recovery Refuge podcast. We aim to offer you a safe listening space to grow in your recovery. I hope today's show is an encouragement to you and brings you a sense of peace in your life. For updates on new content, follow us on social media at recoveryrefuge.care. Also, check out our website for any developments in our ministry at recoveryrefuge.care. Enjoy today's show. Here we are with the Recovery Refuge podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Abrams. I'm here with uh, the other co-host, Adam French. He's the founder of Recovery Refuge here in Middle Tennessee, Sumner County. We're seeking to eradicate uh, addiction in Sumner County. So we're here today with our next guest. So feel free to tell us your name and your age and what you do in life right now. All right. My name is Susan and I'm 61 and I'm going to school to be a biblical counselor which is way out of my comfort zone. And I am a grandmother of one. My official name is Mimi. <laughs> <laughs> How old is your uh, grandchild? 10 months old. 10 months. So you're new to the oh, game. So you yes. got your training yeah. wheels on. Yes, and loving it. That's awesome. Loving it. Yeah. So diving into um, whatever your struggle is, feel free to share that. But in that, what do you think historically, what was your darkest time in that addiction? And how did you feel in that moment? Well, there's several dark times. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about that. One of the hardest times is I, I grew up, and I've been using it since I was 13, and my dad was a sheriff. And I had a lot of access to, to drugs and mm-hmm. alcohol. Um, but I remember I was married to a cocaine dealer in Tampa, Florida, and um, we were scaling out pounds. Wow. I mean pounds like hundreds of thousands of dollars of cocaine and my dad walks in our house oh man and it was devastating um and and that was that was a hard time it did not stop me from using yeah um but it stick it stuck hard it it hit me hard but um when i wrecked my car and my son was in my car and i totaled it and to this day i don't know who i hit or how they are i know that i hit a car um, but I made it home by God's grace. Um, that was it was another a, dark point. A yeah. very dark time. How old I, is your son? Um, he's going to be forty now, but he was about um, five years old. Oh man! Yeah. Now let me ask you this: You said thirteen. Um, how were you first introduced? A lot of people sometimes like they found alcohol at their parents' house or cousin, brother. What thirteen? How did you get introduced to? I actually got introduced to alcohol first. My okay. parents, we'd sit around and play cards, and my parents were like, you want a beer? Oh, and man. And I started drinking beer and then was introduced um, to marijuana and then pills and moved to Florida and was introduced to cocaine and loved it. Wow. So tying into that, seeing that your dad in one of your darkest moments uh, played, I mean, he, he was, a main, it was a supporting character in that story. What do you think, and how did that shape in that moment? If you had to explain to someone what you believed about God, what would it be in that moment? I had a lot of people tell me about the Lord, mm-hmm. and I honestly didn't hear them. Mm. I I I didn't believe that the God that I believe in today, that I know mm-hmm. to be real in my life, that can change everything. He has a purpose and a plan behind every hurt, habit, or hang-up that I had, mm-hmm. um, was not the God that I believed in then. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have believed 
that he would do what he's doing today. Yeah. I, I just blocked that out. It was easier for me to block out and not hear it so I could live life and do what so I you, wanted to do. So you could lean into the ignorance. You could I, lean into and kind of plead, plead ignorance. Okay. Yes. Wow. Wow. So, so if someone walks up to you, like let's say you, you wake up, you knew you had that wreck with your five-year-old son, just to put it another way because I'm going to draw some stuff out. You wake up, somebody walks up to your door and they go, Susan, what do you believe about God? Try to put yourself there. What would your answer have been that morning after yeah. having that wreck? Probably is I've always heard God is good. He's good to you, but I don't know that he's good to me. Mm. I can't stop using. I can't stop drinking. I want it. I desire it. I, I had to have it. I um, actually had a lady. She was from Brazil. Her name was Simone. And she prayed over me. I remember her speaking truth into my life. I actually found her again and told her that I, I was a Christian, that I, really? I love the Lord, that oh. I'm clean, which is the coolest thing ever. Right. I found her on Facebook. Um, but she did. She, she would lay hands on me, and it would creep me out because I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. I didn't know about the God of the Bible that I know today. I, mm. He was a word to me. He wasn't, he wasn't alive. He was just something. He was a historical that people, figure absolutely. whose heart stopped beating a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so I bet there's a lot of listeners who are in that same spot, you know, maybe right now, who are listening and going, you know, I've heard about God. I've heard a. I know that God is good, and I, that was my thing. I said I always thought church was like a God club for good people. So and I'm like, you know, I'm like, well, I'm not good. You know, <laughs> I knew yes. that enough. I didn't know um, necessarily. I didn't, I'm not saying that I wanted to be good, but in my mind, I thought, I know I'm not. Yes. Right? And so I'm not even supposed to go there. And I remember uh, being so nervous. I had a girlfriend that had asked me to go to church, and I would I actually would smoke weed before I would go. I went with her a couple times because I was so scared. I was so nervous. I'm like, I, I guess I thought these people are going to figure out who I am. Yeah. Like, they're going to realize, like, I'm the... I'm doing coke, I'm drinking, I'm doing these things. And so it's crazy how sin is actually what is supposed to bring us close to God because God came to us because of our sin. But in our minds, and I think the enemy does this, sin is what often keeps us from going to him. Yeah. Yes, yes. I um, I went to church as, as a, I went to um, like youth camp, Mm-hmm. Once a friend invited me and I heard about God and I just thought, well, you probably don't drink. You probably mm. don't do what I'm doing. So your God can't love me. Mm. Wow. So that's exactly how I felt. Really? So it, it, it's interesting that in, and I would get high before I would go on a Wednesday night with some friends out in the parking lot before I, I went in. But I just didn't hear that same God that loves me unconditionally today is the same God that loved me then, but I just didn't love him. Right. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so I, I guess, you know, the question is like, we're hearing this person who has had lots of opportunities to connect with God. Like you said, you heard the God, you got invited, you had a lady that was praying for you. Like there's a lots of moments there where like you could have been like, all right, this is it. You know, like yeah. I got, a, there's a new way of life and I've, I've kind of had the, the same thing, but like growing up in the Bible belt, not so much the people that live maybe out in the out West or 
up north, but in the south, you know, if you're listening, you're from different parts of the country. I, we're actually looking out the window. And I, is this two different churches or is this one? That's actually you used to be able to see the Baptist church. That's, that's the Sumner County Courthouse. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. This is, oh, there's the church over here, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. we can see one church. So I say that because there's churches on every corner. Yeah. Right? So what what was that, I guess, um, moment of clarity for you? That moment where, you know, the prodigal son, the moment where you said, hey, um, I want to give my life to God, or you realize, like, wait a second, there is a God, or I may not know everything about him, but I want to be with him. Hearing, hearing your story, what was the moment it came into focus? Because yeah. for you, God was this like blurry character. Yeah. It was in everyone else's life, but not yours. Uh, we actually had moved back to Ocala, Florida, um, mm-hmm. my husband and I, and, and um, took three of our children because our oldest son was already moved out. And I remember having a party at our house, and I was so tired of using and, and getting older. I just, yeah. I was tired. And I remember that my husband went to work the next morning, and I remember bowing at the at the very foot of our bed and just said if you're real god mm. i need help wow mm. i need help and and we were we decided to move back here after about four months and um i went into i well i had some some medical issues went to the emergency room they gave me levaquin and i actually died i actually went into acute anaphylactic shock and died and when i got, woke up i was just dark we moved here and within three weeks, um, we went to a church here in Gallatin called, it was called College Heights at the time. Uh-huh. And I heard the pastor speak and mm-hmm. I had never heard a message like I heard. And I told my husband, I said, we have to go back. Yeah, We have to go back. <laughs> and we went back and the third time, I literally went forward and I, and I just held my hands open and I said, I just wanna surrender it all. And God literally delivered me from every desire, every, I mean, I, I have not had the pit of my stomach ache and hurt because I needed to have a drink because yeah. it's what he's done. And, and I've not turned back. So I want to, I want to talk about that for a second, uh, a few points, but first off, you said that when you came back, you went dark. Oh, what do you mean by that? I, I felt dark. Mm-hmm. I felt hopeless, helpless, mm. um, not seen. I, everything that I had done, everything that had been done to me, everything, every person that I had hurt, I felt the weight of that on my shoulders. Wow. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong, but in that moment, it was almost, your dark moment was when you, you felt reality for the first time. Yeah. Since you'd been dulling reality with these different substances, it was when you felt it all. And it yes. just hit you all at Yes, once. yeah. And then the other point, uh, a lot of times in recovery culture and all this, it's real easy to harp on the failures of the local church. It's real easy to harp on those different things. But in this moment, when you were at College Heights, how old were you when that happened? I was 40. Well, it'll be 18 years, September 17th. Praise God. Amen. The women on the show know the dates. The guys are like, in this decade, I did this. But so in that moment, the pastor of College Heights, praise God for him, he presented you with the gospel so well it brought him into focus. It, yes. God became the character in your story in the foreground, not the background anymore. Oh, I, I heard it. I, I went home and started reading my Bible that I, mm. I don't think I've ever opened it up. Maybe, maybe six times in my entire life. Wow. And it actually had my, my maiden name on it. That's how old it was. Mm. And um, it, it just changed everything. I mean, everything in my life completely changed. Wow. So. In, in my ministry, uh, I'm the children's pastor at a church. We are currently working through the Heidelberg Catechism with our kids. It's a, 
Protestant version of the catechism. It's an old church history thing. And we say that our goal in the catechism, by the time kids graduate, we're not trying to convince them they're saved. We are setting the tender, a fire tender, on their heart so that when the Holy Spirit strikes the match, the fuel's there. And they understand the Bible. They understand the principles of who God is well enough so that when the Holy Spirit decides for that moment, it can turn into a roaring blaze. And it seems like, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like in your life, the tender was being heaped on your whole existence. Yes. And it was a bonfire just being built. And then this pastor of College Heights got the opportunity and the honor, honestly, to be the one to light that in you and seemingly has turned into a bonfire for <laughs> and, your, your love for and, Yeah, and I understand not everybody gets delivered, mm-hmm. but right. it, it, when that happened, I um, there was um, a counselor, Jackie Dial, mm-hmm. um, who worked, I think, at First Baptist Church, asked me to go back and pray. And she says, can I pray with you? And I said, yes. She said, do you want to pray or do you want me to? I, I literally remember praying, and when we got finished, she said, I don't think anybody's ever prayed like that. Mm. And, and, ever yeah. in their life. And I know that it was just the Lord. I mean, he, when I say he's radically changed my life, I, I, I could pick up a Bible and, and read it before I got mm-hmm. saved and I would not understand a one single word. I picked up the Bible and it started leaping off the page. Yeah. Yeah. The Holy I, I had to read more and more and more and more and learn more about who he was and how he loved me. Yeah. And to that, again, I just want to you're saying a lot of good stuff, so I want to keep good. jumping it's back. Keep but you said, I love it. You said that not everyone gets delivered, which is a very unfortunate mm-hmm. reality to this fallen world. And um, to hearken to the fire illustration, you can have a roaring bonfire and that fire keep roaring while the rain is pouring. So to use that illustration, the world around you could be going crazy. So I know, I don't recall his name, but it was a gentleman we went to church with back when I was in high school. And his transformation was just so evident. Uh, he was a single dad. Him and his daughter had gotten into the church. Uh, different people who they truly, they have been transformed. They've been regenerated. Right, right. You can tell yeah. by the way they worship. You can yeah. tell by the fruit of their life, the way we're told yeah. you will. When, when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, he had the fruit in his life. And seemingly when everything was going right, his name was Justin. I don't remember his last name. But seemingly at that moment, when Justin, everything was going right, he relapsed and died of an OD on his very first run oh, back. Oh, goodness. So in that moment, I fully believe that fire was roaring in him, but the rain still poured on him. So I don't want, for you, that's an amazing story that you truly, you just you were delivered from it. But for any listeners, you, yeah, that fire can be in you and don't feel like you failed God. Don't feel like something you're not doing something right or you must have missed a step in all this if the rain keeps pouring. Yeah. No, that's good. And I think, I think it's, 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 and that's one of the, I'm so glad we're talking about this. It's just, my heart is so full because one of the things I want about, I love about this podcast and what I want it to be is that, and, and you're going to the world of uh, counseling. So I want to talk about this is there's big silos in the world of counseling. There's a silo over here that says, you know, recovery and, and sobriety comes through behavioral management, science, science, science. You know, Christians call it secular. And then on the right side, you know, you have it's prayer, it's Bible, it's spiritual things, it's a spiritual experience. You know, Christian counselors say it's biblical based. And they don't necessarily play well with each other, mm-hmm. right? There's like, but, you know, the truth is, is that God is in everything and there is good 
everything good comes from the Lord. So there is good things that come from secular recovery and observable information that we've seen, and we can blend those together and take and grow. And so I would want to just hear you talk a little bit about this because there are, it's not everybody's story. Some people get saved and man, they never go to an AA meeting or celebrate recovery or NA or SA and like they're doing great. Now, they, what we'll find though is if you were to ask them to, hey, write, write down what a week looks like in your life, it would be very similar to somebody who does CR. But I won't get into all that. Like the tools are similar. But I just want to have you speak for a moment because I know that you uh, give back and you're involved in some recovery ministries. You're going into counseling, yet that's not your story. You know, your story is, man, I've never even hungered for it. Not that you're perfect or anything, but you can say, man, I wouldn't have to do that. Why are you choosing now? What has kind of drawn you into um, some of the work that you're doing now, some of the places that you're in, some of the recovery things that you do? Being a person who says, man, I like I was transformed in a moment. You know, I was transformed, but going through recovery programs and going in and helping out and serving, I've also gotten real with myself and, and been able to, to talk about the hard things in my life that, is, that has happened in my childhood, um, things that I did, things that were done to me, and be honest and be real with other people and to realize that I'm okay. Um, those kind of things could have caused me to relapse, to, to think that I'm not okay. You know, I mm-hmm. did these things and I get to be real about that and be honest about it in a program that um, I, I'm loved by other people that they have gone through the same thing. Yeah. And and I, I love, I, I know that it's almost like I walked around as a dry drunk, you could say. Um, I don't really like that terminology, but what did you say? I, a dry drunk. A dry drunk. Yeah, good. You know what yeah. that is? Before. No, I've never heard that. Oh, really? So explain that um, to anyone who maybe listening hasn't heard that. It's it's where there was a void. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I loved the Lord, but there was an emptiness in my spirit. Mm. There was something that I I have purpose, mm. and my purpose is the recovery center that I'm at now. Oh, okay. My okay. my purpose is to give back to what God has given me. It's to share the hope. Of, of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. It's mm-hmm. to share that y- recovery's hard. Yeah, It is very hard, but it's something that um, I know people can get through, mm-hmm. but you need other people, you need community, mm-hmm. and definitely need Jesus Christ. Yeah, I couldn't have done it without him. And uh, Can I add to that real quick? And we'll go back to, so another way to explain kind of what a dry drunk is, is so here, here's, here's what I know is we're all, slanted to struggle with certain types of sin, right? We're all sinners, but based on our disposition, based on our past, our history, like we struggle with certain things. I always use my wife as an example. My wife is very reserved. She's very calm and um, she's a joy to be around. And her personality is to let people walk over. Like she has to, I'm always like, hey, you don't let them treat you like that. You know, me, (laughs) you know, my personality is I'm gonna be a type A, I'm gonna walk over people. I have to apologize, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Like barely my wife's gonna say that. Like we, we're slanted differently. And there is a, it's, in my opinion, I think we all would say this is accepted now, is there's a group of people 
addicts, alcoholics, uh, people that struggle with addiction, have a group of character traits that are very slimmer, similar, and they're slanted to struggle with these things, right? Mm. And so while we get forgiveness from Jesus Christ and we get the Holy Spirit of God and we're able to come alive and we see the world totally differently, we still emotionally and with our thinking have a tendency to struggle with these certain things. So if we're not in a program of recovery or if we're not in some type of place, whether it be counseling or wherever it be, where we're very attentive to those things, we are going to act mm-hmm. out. And so dry drunks or somebody who says, I'm not drinking. They can even be saved, but those character traits come out like we're very selfish. We only, you know, I might not be much, but I'm all I think about. So we'll see all these things come out and you're like, man, just go have a beer. Like just, gotcha. dude, you're worse. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, I guess to try to connect it to workaholism or food addiction, like some people who may struggle with food, like, you know, the way that they act out, if they're not treating that, they can love Jesus, be sober, but if they're not, they're not in a place that's conducive to, to growing in those areas, they're going to act out, even though they may not even be eating, right? It will come out. It's going to come out in some way. Some way, okay. some type of behavior. Okay. That makes sense. So, yeah, um, and uh, it's really interesting you bring that up because, um, you know, we talk about alcoholism being, uh, you know, a secondary thing, right? It's not, it's not the root problem. So even though you can say, I'm going to white knuckle drugs and alcohol, you're going to, the, the resentments and all those reasons why we did drink, if they're not dealt with, they come out. And, and, I, and I truly believe that it's worse. You know, my two big fears are, one is that I'm able to use and drink and still survive, right? Like living the life of miserably, just barely getting along. The other one is, is that I don't use and I'm spiritually fit. So I'm emotionally sick, but spiritually fit. And I'm just walking around white knuckling, yeah. hurting people. Like, isn't that, that would be, so I just wanted to take some time. I yeah. think that was great to talk about that. Um, and we were, we were in the middle of you talking about what you were, what we were talking about. I've lost my material. We were a dry drunk, right? Yeah. You're talking yes. about your dry yeah. drunk, telling your story. Do you oh remember? <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. Oh no, you're good. You're good. I'm sorry. I took no, it off. No, I think that was well worth it. Because uh, again, I shared with Adam before, and we've maybe talked about it in another episode. But how my addiction isn't one that's as immediately destructive. So for me, it is workaholism. Uh, given the opportunity, I'll work 16 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, but even to hear that, that's a principle in all addiction that if you beat this one, well, then you're just going to become a miserable person. Because for me, whenever uh, my wife and I first became aware of the fact and were able to put a name to it, that my thing is workaholism, well then, okay, well, I'm just not going to go to the office on Saturdays anymore. I'll turn off my email on Sundays, stuff like that. But then I'm like picking up different projects around the house and I'm like (laughs) doing different because we have a couple acres. Dude, that's exactly what alcoholics, they say, they say, well, I'm not going to drink liquor anymore. Yeah. I'm going to just drink beer or I won't, I won't do Coke. I'll only do Coke on the weekends. Yes. Like, so that's, the, that's, same, what I was doing. that's yeah. the same thought yeah. process. Yeah. And then my wife will pull me aside and be like, hey, so that's great you didn't go to the office today, but you still spent <laughs> yeah. nine hours to me. <laughs> today, a hundred yards from the house. Like that doesn't do us any good. You might as well have been at the office. So that was good um, for me and for anyone else that doesn't know that term because it's good to put a name to it. What yeah. we were talking about, I just remembered it, is that... Um, you were talking about like the, when the realization of, yeah, I was, man, God saved me, but I still needed to go 
to recovery. So I don't know if you because we're asking why you give back. Yeah, because so you still you're still a part of it. You know. So. Yeah. Um, well, Danny introduced me to Celebrate Recovery, which was a God thing. I worked at the church. And he walked through the doors and said, hey, you know, um, I'm here to see your pastor and share about the ministry. And literally something clicked in my spirit. And I was like, okay, well, what is your ministry? And he shared about it and he gave me a card and I went home and I looked up about what it was about. And I was like, I've got to go. Wow. I've, I've, I've got to go. So I asked another gentleman there that I know had gone through the same recovery um he had an addiction to cocaine and I was like do you want to go with me and he's like yeah so I talked to my husband and I I met this guy up there and we're just um friends and uh, he was a lot younger than me by the way just so we get that clear (laughs) um and um I just fell in love with the ministry and how it worked and how the people were getting free and set free from sharing their hurts habits and hang-ups and and just a safe place to go and it was Christ-centered yeah which is what we need in this community you know i was um this is going to roll into one of our wrap-up questions but i was looking it up uh, because adam brought up a few minutes ago how over on the whatever the this camp over here the camp on the right is we're just going to pray it away we're going to read our bible every time we get tempted we're going to do this and then there's the opposing camp that's the science camp and it's, well, we're going to do medical detox. We're going to do all these things. And like Adam said, and like Recovery Refuge is aiming to do, it's to marry the good thing in each of these camps. And how can we do this to deliver a lasting impact? Not just, let's get you in. Let's milk your insurance dollars. Let's get you uh, medically rehab. We'll get you out of here in 30 days. You'll be back to your life in no time. Also, take all these shots once a week after you leave so that you don't get chemically tempted. Um, so I looked up this quote because in the marrying of these two camps, too often if we're on the churchy uh, Jesus camp, we think, well, then that means that everything over on this side is bad and that everything that this sinner does is terrible and uh, it, it can lead to us hurting people where if they one day come to Recovery Refuge but their first deliverance was within one of these science camps, we can hurt them by invalidating their experience in it. So I looked up this quote, I couldn't remember who said it, but it was St. Augustine. He said, all truth is God's truth. Yeah. So in that moment of these, this, this moment we're in in time where our goal, and it's not a new goal, hopefully someone's tried it before, but we're going to attempt to marry these two positive principles into one thing, and we're going to drop the arrogance and the pride of, I don't like them, they don't agree with my creeds and my convictions, therefore, everything they've done is wrong. Mm-hmm. And we're going to attempt to marry these to... to achieve our goal of eradicating addiction in Sumner County. And we're going to marry those things. So hearing you talk about that, how you were able to go through this in your own way, but then you were introduced to a new type of ministry that just did things in a more potentially systematic approach, but it allowed for you and you had the humility to, to say all truth is God's truth. And just because Danny does it differently over here doesn't mean that I'm doing it here. Cause I know I've, I've been in community with different, um, strugglers or addicts, whatever term they want to call themselves. And they'll say, well, I'm going to CR or whatever. They're doing something to face their addiction. And then there's always that one guy on Facebook who comments and says, well, all you need is the gospel of Jesus. And all you need, once you're delivered, you'll never, you'll never <laughs> hunger or thirst for the things yeah. of this world again. The new wine skins can't, and they, they start quoting all these things. 
and they're denying that all truth is God's truth. Yeah, so good. Yes. So, so good. just to that point, one, kudos for the humility on acknowledging that this could be a potential route for me. And that route's different for everyone. Just because we think we have the best route doesn't mean it's the only route. Yeah, and I want to so. add to that, man. I think I think sometimes that um, it's, it, it's really our, it's our ego mm-hmm. because you say, however I got better is the way everybody has to get better. Yeah. Yes. So it's like, I, I, all I did was go to therapy. Yeah. And I went I to therapy went to the for a year. Yeah. Or I, I started working out. Mm-hmm. I went to AA. And it's like, man, that's incredible. I'm, I'm the guy going, I'm, che- I'm the cheerleader going, yes, yes. Okay. Now let's say, because it's, it's a lot more easier to get sober. It's a lot harder to stay sober for longevity. So I'm on the sidelines going, that's incredible. Okay how can we make sure there's a pathway ahead that's conducive to your sobriety for the rest of your life so you can change this trajectory not just for you but for your family the people around you and that makes me think about your story where you're going yeah man I got God changed my life I got sober and then I found this place that gives it a pathway to people, you know, and, and I love the fact that you're going, and now I'm going to do counseling. And now, so it's like, I'm just going to put my hand in any place where people need to reach out. And we want to be there when people in their darkest moments. Yes. Yeah. There was a little girl that reached out on the Facebook page I saw today and she wants desperately to be able to come to our recovery program, celebrate recovery, but she just didn't have a ride and just down the road. So I just reached out and said, hey, I, I, I will call you this week. Here's your ride. <laughs> Here's your ride. You know, people are desperate. Yes. I mean, people are, are out here everywhere looking for a recovery program to get into. They want help. Yes. Nobody likes to be an addict. Nobody likes to be an alcoholic. Nobody woke up and said, hey, I want to be an addict today. You know, I want to be slave to this thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. Nobody wants to be held down by that. Yeah. And, and honestly, um, whatever means that it takes and, and introducing them to Jesus Christ, I, I wouldn't have been able to do any of this without him in mm-hmm. my entire life. Amen. But you know what? If it's AA, God's put them there for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's NA, God's put them there for a purpose. If it's recovery yes. refuge, God's going to put them there for a purpose. Yes. You know, he has a purpose for every recovery center out there. Yeah. To deny that he could work through that is yes. to deny his omnipotence. Yeah. I've literally been in AA room before and got down on my knees with another man and he pray and receive Christ in an AA meeting and to say that God is there (laughs) yes he is (laughs) you can't keep him out right we try to keep him out of our lives (laughs) we do we did we don't anymore I don't yeah yeah I want I wanted you were talking about people that um you know are desperate and I just can't help imagine like maybe there's a mom or a husband who's listening who doesn't have a problem with addiction, but know somebody that does, and they're angry and like they're going, "Why don't you just stop? Yeah. Like, why don't why why can't you just quit? Like, don't go to the liquor store, don't call the drug. Why man. don't you love me enough to not do this? Yeah, why don't you love me? Like, you, it's your choice. I just want to. Can you speak in to to that a little bit about um, you know just when you have this struggle of it not being something that you can just snap your fingers and stop? Well, actually, I have 80, almost 90-year-old parents that have been alcoholics my whole entire life. Really? And they've seen the change in me 
and yet they've chosen to continue every single day they that drink um, my oldest son who's also didn't know me um, he was already moved out he didn't know me clean clean until he was 23 but he sees the change and the other two children that were in our home has seen me change. They have seen the radical change in my life, but they also see what I'm doing to stay sober, to stay clean, and to give back to what God's given me. Um, but I do I, for my parents, it is their choice. They see me, I share mm-hmm. about the truth. Um, what God has done in my life, but also the recovery programs. And it, it's hard. Yeah. It is hard. It's hard to watch them dwindle away. It's hard to watch my oldest son who went to a recovery program and and looked for something long term. And it was 30 days and he was out and he still struggles, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Um, so um, I don't even know what your question was. No, <laughs> I think no. you answered it. No, yeah. that's amazing. You did. Yeah. And, I, and, and we'll talk about this in one of our, our lessons. The way um, this goes is we'll do uh, testimony and then we'll do some lessons. But yeah. I want to say this, that if we have to realize that addiction is an allergy, it's a spiritual Malady. So, like, if I'm sitting, it's a no fault illness. People get, people will argue with me if I say, no, addiction is a no fault illness. Like, what? You can just stop. I'll say, okay, well, if you get cancer or you have diabetes, is it, is it your fault? No. Well, the doctor's going to say, okay, you need to do these four things. You're responsible for these four things to treat this struggle that you have. So, if I sit right here next to, uh, I'll just say my wife, because she, she doesn't have the mind that I have alcohol, addiction, addictive behavior. If we both sat here and we drank a beer, I, it's not my fault how my mind and my body reacts to that. My mind goes, I want to get out of control. I want to, I want to, I mean, I totally change. I'm a different human being when alcohol enters my body. I know that without a doubt. My wife is thinking, I want to stay under control. She could not drink for five years. It, like nothing like that would be. You know, yeah, and there's, this, not a, there's I'm not talking, an itch for more. Yeah, I'm not, talking about yeah. in the past tense, right? When we, but so I mean, there was a difference between us when we were when we were in that time set. So, but once I know that, and I go, all right, I need to do these four. I need to do these things to stay sober. It's my responsibility. The difference between addiction and any other disease out there, any other spiritual malady or struggle, is it's a self diagnosis. So you, I'm not. If a doctor came in and said, Adam, you've got diabetes or you've got this nobody on the planet would argue i mean who would argue with the doctor when they says look at this but i could come to you and go look at your life you've lost everything you've struggled with everything it's so obvious but they may not accept it if the person doesn't accept i've got a problem the pathway to healing and the responsibility doesn't come and we'll talk more about that in a lesson but i think it was good to just to talk about to the person who's listening you may be going you may be thinking, why don't you just stop? Well, they can't, yeah. right? There's a process to that. The first step is going, man, I've got a problem. And that's why we pray often in the world of recovery that people would hit their rock bottom. They would hit that place where they have nothing but God and they realize that God is all that they need. Yeah. Amen. So to that, you've, you've hit your rock bottom. You've been delivered from it. You don't struggle with it anymore. Praise God. Now that you're sober, we've talked a little bit about what you believed about God back then. What do you believe about God today? 
Ooh, he's everything. <laughs> he is a life changer. He, um, oh, wow. Um, today, I know without a shadow of a doubt, he loves me unconditionally where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he's given me purpose. Every single thing that I went through in my life, he was there. He never forsaked me. He mm-hmm. always stood by me. And I can see it on this side of it. Yeah. I didn't see it then, but I can see it now that he walked alongside me my whole entire life from the age of five to things that happen until even today, walking yeah. through the door. Um, he's sovereign. He is sovereign over everything. Um, and I'm truly loved. I'm accepted. Yeah. I'm loved. It doesn't matter what I did in my life. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. He's everything. Yeah. He's everything to me. Yeah, to you. To me. So that's the biggest difference between he's what he was and what yeah. he is. He's to you. Yes. Yeah, and he can be to anyone. And yeah. he hears me in my cries. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's 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 someone that I can talk to. He even when I can't talk. Yeah. He hears me. Yeah. Wow. Adam, you may know it quicker than me. Yeah, when did Lazarus first? die? Was that John nine? Um. I'm trying to let's see. If I have my Bible, I was trying to. It's John eleven. John was eleven or nine? I wasn't positive. But this is a common trivia question. What's the shortest Bible verse in the whole Bible? And it's John 11, and it's Jesus wept. So in that moment, speaking of the sovereignty of Christ and the sovereignty of knowing, he knew before he spoke anything to existence, he knew that you were going to struggle with this. But he also knew how he was going to be next to you the whole time. So we believe that when Jesus came to earth, he knew every interaction he was going to have. He knew the the fallout of everything he was going to do. He knew the full story of every individual he's going to encounter. And what speaks so true in the Lazarus story is that when Lazarus had died and Jesus made his way to Mary and Martha's home where Lazarus was buried, it says that even though we know that he knew in a matter of minutes he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he paused. He didn't tell Mary and Martha to stop crying. He didn't tell them, come on, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who your best friend is? It says he stopped and it says Jesus wept. So in that moment, he stepped into, we believe he always is, but he was in the moment with them and he cried with them. So when Jesus came to you, he knew all along what you were going to go through. He knew when you were going to have your clarity moment. He knew, he knows where you're going to end. And thanks be to God, he knows your parents who are 90 years old. He knows it's not too late. Yes. And as we're listening to this, if you... It feels so inclined right now. Pause it and throw up a prayer for them to say it's not too late for these individuals. It's not too late for your kids. I know my paternal granddad, Papa, he got baptized like six months before he died. And it was my grandma had been praying for him her whole life. And literally it was so odd because every evening she would sit down. He couldn't read. And every evening she would sit down and she would read the Bible to him. And basically he couldn't stop her. So for 80 (laughs) years, she was reading. I mean, they were married for 60 of those. So for 60 years, she was reading the Bible to him every evening. She was laying that tender on the fire so that one day, hopefully, before his heart stopped beating, the Holy Spirit would ignite it. it, And did he ever ignite it in my papa? Because he got ignited. And next thing you know, he went from sitting in the car during church to uh, something clicked in him. I don't know what. Didn't get to have that conversation with him before he left. Something clicked. Next thing you know, he didn't just like phase into being a back row Baptist. Like he went from sitting in the car to next thing you know, 
He's asking to get baptized. He's then whenever the pastor is a small country church. So you ask people to testify and tell their story right, right. and lift up prayer requests. He was doing all that on day one. And that's a moment that just can't be denied. So to that point, and to anyone listening, it is never too late for you to to get that moment. So Yeah, and I think a lot of people that are listening may say they have that. They think because of all the things that they've done, and I was there, like all the bad. We talked about church being a God club yeah. for good people. All the bad that we've done. We think, man, God didn't experience our pain with this. Like, God only is with us in our good times. And it's like, no, God, you know, he takes our trash and he pours it on the table and he goes through it piece by piece. Like, he's a messy God. So if anybody that's listening and saying, like, they're struggling, they may be using right now, maybe you're riding around and you're lying. You know, you're, you're, on, you're on drugs right now and your work doesn't know, your wife doesn't know, and you're thinking, man, I can't turn to God because of what I am. no. That's exactly when you turn to him because he is right there. He's broken over your sin. He's not over his over you shaking his fist going, you've got to stop, right? He's, he's, he's weeping with us. And that's what, you know, I'm going to tell you, the moment that really changed my uh, life, what, I got saved. I became a pastor, all this stuff. I fell huge. I mean, fell big time. And I was horrible. I was a horrible husband. And I'll never forget, um, I was in jail, and my wife, I had a phone call from my wife, and I called her. Or I, My one call was to call my wife, and I called her, and I thought, here we go. <laughs> like, you know, she can give it to me like I have been a, a dirty dog, right? Yeah. And she's like, this is God. I know the man you can be, and all this stuff. And I, that, that love, she showed me that God wasn't seeing me as a criminal, as an addict, as an alcoholic. God was seeing me as his child. Amen. You know, That's that Romans eight twenty eight. He's turned it all around. And look at you. He uses what we go through. And even when we don't understand it, I mean, so many times I was like, God, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? You know, I, I question that. And then I've, I've, I know now. You know, not just now, but I, I figured this out through the process of growing closer to the Lord that he truly turns all things over for his glory, you know, and hard things, hard things. And I was just going to go back to what you said. My grandfather was saved and baptized at 93. So, so <laughs> 93. Yes, 93. Did you have to help him into the baptistry? I, I didn't get to be there because yeah. we were living in Florida and he's yeah. in Kentucky. Yeah. But yeah. It's never to too late. Yeah. We had to yeah. help him into the. Did you? Yeah. We had to like, because he was too, he couldn't make it. Yeah. The stairs, a, so we had tough, to yeah. physically help him. My papa it's never had, too late. Well, he was still gardening. So he probably oh, called he, he in by himself. He, he probably jumped in. Yeah. Um, so real quick, before we kind of attempt, this is going to be one of our longest episodes and That's I have fine. zero complaints. That's this fine. has been great. Yeah. So, um, Back to John 11, uh, verse 39. This is in, I'm going to read four different translations on purpose. This is in the NIV. It says, this is right after Jesus is taken to the tomb of Lazarus. And Martha says, by this time, there's a bad odor for he has been there for four days. The New Living Translation says, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. The New King James Version says, by this time, there is a stench. And then the message says, Master, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead for four days. All of them bringing up the point he's been dead for four days, which in Jewish culture meant he was gone. He was too far gone. Right. But then they also bring up the, the palpable reality that his body is decaying and there will be a stench to it. So to what Adam said of 
God doesn't, he, he's not going to nitpick you for every little thing you've done. Right. He's willing to stand the stench of your sin because he was there. He was, he's there in the whole time. He's omnipresent. He was there as you were sinning. He was, he was present. So not only was he there, you think, not you, either of you, but we may think we're tempted to think that we have to clean ourselves before we come to yes. Jesus. But he, he walked into the radius of Raz, Lazarus's smell. He walked into the radius of Lazarus's death and he's, he wants to walk in. He, he's there for yours. There's not yes. this bubble that he can't cross yes. Amen. To, to save you. So yeah. Amen. Love I'm it. still praying for our oldest son. Yeah. God promised me the prodigal and I'm standing on that. Amen. Yes. You know, God, you do what you have to do. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So one last question. Um, we've hit on this a little bit. You gave this young woman a ride to your recovery program. Why do you think, specifically in Sumner County, why do you think there's such a need for the recovery refuge? Oh my goodness, there's so many people out there and just in need. I mean, um, and and I know that um, Adam's starting with men, and I just I look around and I'm like, men, where are you at? Mm-hmm. They they need help. Yeah, you know, and not just the men, but the men are really the priests of the home. Mm-hmm. And when I I know when my husband got saved, our whole entire family yeah. changed. But um, the recovery program, there's such a need. For in Sumner County alone, I know that I, I've heard through Celebrate Recovery, the ODs, people that OD every single day. I mean, I, I don't even know how many. I think I heard Danny say there's like 12 a day that, that ambulance drivers go and pick up. And um, men want help. Women want help. There needs to be a place for for people to go. My son was willing to go to California to get help. He was in a, in a recovery program for 30 days. He had to go all the way to Dixon, Tennessee and was in there for 30 days and he wanted a long-term program. Yeah. There, there has to be a long-term program. You just can't, I mean, you can, God can do anything, yeah, yeah. but there is a, such a need, especially for somebody that, that fentanyl, heroin, that's addicted to these, these drugs, cocaine. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's something that you just, 30 days is good, but 60 days, they learn how to walk out of that habit. They learn and they have accountability, they have community, and they, they learn to see what it's like to be, be clean for 60 days and they see their self and start to heal. And um, I truly believe that, that this program is gonna be exactly what God has purposed for such a time as this, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And uh, it, it's needed. Yeah. It is absolutely. so needed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for coming. That's incredible. And if you want to, uh, real quick, if you want to connect with us, it's recoveryrefuge.care, recoveryrefuge.care at gmail.com. But thank you so much yeah. for coming. That's, that's thank been, you it's been for incredible. asking. Yeah, absolutely. It. So thank you, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Recovery Refuge podcast. We always appreciate it when you share this podcast on your social media platforms to help get the word out. You never know whose life will be saved or impacted in the world of recovery because you chose to share. To learn more about Recovery Refuge or to support us, go to www.recoveryrefuge.care. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, today is a great day to have a great day.